thank you for listening to Okanagan Queer Story, a podcast about the queer history of the Okanagan and the people who have lived through it. We would like to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded and traditional territory of the Okanagan Sealed People. Throughout this podcast, we may refer to different spaces and places, sometimes by their colonial names, but we recognize and acknowledge that the land on which we are situated is Indigenous land. My name is Donna Langell and I am your host. Each week, I will talk with someone who identifies as 2SLGBTQIA+, and who lives or has lived in the Okanagan. joined by Wilbur Turner. Wilbur was a resident of the Okanagan from 2011 to 2017. He played a huge role in many of Kelowna's historic queer moments, including the painting of the Rainbow Crosswalk. He has recently moved back to the city. Welcome back to Kelowna, Wilbur, and thank you for being a guest on the Okanagan Queer Story podcast. Thank you very much. I'm really excited to be part of this. I was hoping we could start the conversation um, by having you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your connection to the queer community in the Okanagan. Well, um, I grew up in rural Alberta, northeast rural Alberta, on a farm, and that was in the 60s and 70s. And I had no idea I was gay. I knew I was different, but I didn't have any language to describe what it was or who I who I was or how I identified. And it wasn't until after I was married, um, I got married when I was 19, which is nowadays that seems quite young, but uh, I got married and uh, after the birth of my first child, I realized that I was gay and I did that through, (laughs) funnily enough, um, I was glancing through, I lived in Vancouver at the time, glancing through the Vancouver um, newspaper and this was way back in like 1978 and I noticed personal ads of men looking for men and I had just kind of you know always real well I'd always realized that I had somewhat of an attraction to men but I didn't know what that meant and uh, being a little bit naive growing up on a farm and uh, part of a Christian cult that didn't associate with people outside the church without access to television um, and, that, and those, that kind of media, I really di- didn't have a clue. And when I saw this man looking for man, it just like, like a light bulb went off and I realized, well, this is me. And I came to learn what gay meant and homosexual. And so this was me growing up in Alberta. And then after 18 years of marriage, um, my marriage ended and I was out. And it was, you know, the first experience of coming out. Coming out to me is always ongoing, but that was, uh, you know, 25 some years ago. And I really didn't uh, know to know any gay people. Um, I wasn't part of the LGBTQ community. I was like 39 years old. Um, And I started coming to the Okanagan for holidays in the summer. And there was this wonderful little uh, oasis in the Okanagan near Kelowna called 
the Flags Bed and Breakfast, and it was owned by a gay couple. And they became like family to me. And I was there every summer for a week or two weeks staying there. And it was beautiful, a beautiful spot on McKinley Road in North Glenmore. And it was well known to many of the Calgary um, gay community. It was mostly gay men who went there. And there was a pool, a sauna, hot tub, outdoor area, barbecue for the guests, a kitchen for the guests. And it was clothing optional. And it was just like a piece of heaven for me. And I got to know a lot of um, chat and have conversation with a lot of gay people. And many in the same kind of situation as myself, having been married, come out, had kids. Uh, so it was really, really great to be able to, to um, connect with people and realize that I wasn't alone. I wasn't the only one. And the other thing about that, uh, the flags, was at that time, there was no uh, gay bars. There was nothing in Kelowna for really for people to connect other than there was, um, which I did attend, was community potlucks. So there was a group of people that used to put potlucks on that was uh, I enjoyed going to when I was here. Um, but the, uh, the flags was, they put on parties, they put on drag competitions, they had a Miss Flags contest, which was a drag show. And I was there for some of those. And uh, it was really... Um, it was kind of a, <laughs> the mini cultural scene in Kelowna for me. I know there was probably other things going on uh, that I wasn't aware of at the time. And I do know that uh, there was also a, a gay choir, an LGBTQ choir, and they did performances. And there was a group that put on uh, dances. And I got to go to some of those when I was vacationing here. One of the spots that was. Uh, uh, used quite quite often. It was called the Barn, and it was on Lakeshore Road, and that was a like a community hall, and there was dances there. The uh, Laurel Packing House. There was lots of dances there, and so I got to go to those when I was um, visiting as well. And then I ended up moving here uh, in 2011. Wow, that's. There's a lot in there <laughs> that I want to ask you about. Um, but what I find really interesting is that you said you were living in Vancouver, which in my experience, I imagine there'd be a lot more opportunities for that kind of queer community building. And so I find it really interesting that you found that in Kelowna, which has traditionally been a more conservative, smaller community. Um, do you mind talking a little bit about your experiences um, a kind of transitioning from Vancouver to Kelowna and maybe why you chose Kelowna as kind of that space to find community? Well, sure. Uh, I moved from Calgary to Vancouver in 20, 2009. And uh, I never really got involved with the um, community in Vancouver. I had a lot of friends there that I connected with that were not part of the LGBTQ community. And uh, so I never, I never really f felt like I connected with the, with the community or the scene there. I went to the, some of the uh, gay venues once in a while, but not, not a whole lot. Um, I actually, you know, attended the 
the Pride Parade in Vancouver while I was there. But I still kept coming back to the Okanagan for vacations in the summer. And it was in 2011, in the summer, I was in Kelowna on vacation. And I was just, I was at the beach. I was just visiting with people there, connecting. And I always found Kelowna to be super friendly. And in the in the community itself, um, people were very welcoming and, you know, wanted you to, you know, be welcomed. And I attended Pride in 2011 in Kelowna. And I met a, a few people there that I had never met before. And uh, I just said to myself, you know what, Wilbur, you, when you were going to Vancouver, you actually went too far. You should have stopped in Kelowna and stayed there. <laughs> so I, I called my realtor and I sold my place. I, uh, well, I actually, my, the one person that I'd known for years, uh, his name is Wayne Ross and he lives in Kelowna, he's a realtor. And he used to own a bed and breakfast called the Mad Catter. And it wasn't strictly a gay B&B, but it was a very gay-friendly um, place to go as well. So I got, got to know Wayne and we came, became really good friends. So I called him up and said, I want to look at places in Kelowna. And that was in the summer of 2011, after I'd been here on vacation. So I went home to um, Vancouver. I put my place on the on the market. And then I came up every weekend for you know, two or three weekends, and I looked at places, and I wanted to, I wanted to be involved in the hospitality industry in Kelowna. I had a job where I could work from home, and so I bought a house. It was called, uh, it was on Clarence Avenue in Upper Mission, and it was quite a, quite a nice place. It was large and fairly new, had a beautiful pool, a nice view of the lake, and um, hot tub and I turned it into a bed and breakfast and that was my plan and my vision for moving back to Kelowna or moving to Kelowna and so I operated the bed and breakfast I named it Clarence House after the name of the street and uh, it wasn't strictly um, LGBTQ but I had lots of visitors from from the community and people from all over the world coming and staying with me and I totally loved it I loved the social aspect of it and so that was kind of my you know arrived 2011 December set up the B&B and got right into um, into living in Kelowna and hosting events and there was a um, and this is kind of how it led into me being involved in Pride in Kelowna and Pride Canada wide because there was a conference being held I believe it was in March 2012, and it was called uh, Fierta Canada Pride, which is the organization of prides across Canada. And they were hosting a conference at the uh, Manteo Resort in Kelowna. And my friend Wayne, the realtor, sent me the link saying, you might be interested in this. And I looked at it, and they were looking for volunteers and sponsors. So I contacted them and said, I'd like to talk because I'd like to sponsor this. So um, Dustin Balcom was involved with that and because Kelowna Pride or Okanagan Pride, it was called then, was hosting the conference. And so he came over to my house and we chatted and then we came up with the idea that I would host everyone from the conference at my house for dinner 
on the Saturday night of the conference. So they came over, there was 30 some people. I cooked dinner for everybody. We had a sit down dinner in my house and uh, it was amazing. I, I saw all these people that were committed to, you know, the pride movement and making a difference for people right across Canada. And I said, I want, I want to be part of this. So I got involved with the pride organization in Kelowna, which was um, at the time was called Okanagan Rainbow Coalition, because it had been a group of people that came, a group, several groups that came together to form this, form this group. So that was my hello, welcome to Kelowna, um, jump right in and get involved. Do you know if these uh, B&Bs still exist today, or do you know when they may have shut their doors? I'm just curious. So the flags, the original owners, Vic and Len, um, they became, especially Vic, it, it, he was a, a former university professor from the University of Calgary. He was also a, a great artist. And uh, they, um, Vic met an untimely death. And after that, the place sold. And it was bought by a couple named Brian and Don from Vancouver, and they moved up and took it over as and continued it as the flags. And that would have been, I'm not, I'm not sure when that was, but it would have been probably around early 2000s. And I was their very first guest, and they hadn't even finished unpacking. I was staying at my friend Wayne's B&B and he couldn't keep me there because he'd already had booked it for some other guests. So he said, well, maybe he had sold them the house. He was the realtor. And so um, he said, I'm going to call them up and see if you can go there. So I did. And I was their very first guest. They were not finished unpacking. They hadn't even really figured out the whole place. And it was quite quite an honor for me to be there because I was had been guests since way back in the 90s. Um, I knew the place in pretty much inside and out, and I showed them around. I showed them things I didn't know about. And uh, I kept going back there for quite a few years. And then uh, it got a bit much for them. And so they sold the house and uh, moved back to Vancouver after a few years. And uh, it is now no longer in existence as a bed and breakfast. So it's just gone back to a private home. I'm not sure about the Eagle's Nest, if it's still there or not in Lake Country. Um, and definitely the Mad Catter is not in operation now. And when I sold my, my house, the people who bought it didn't carry it on as a bed and breakfast. Yeah. Well, yeah. And what, you know, what it... Um, the thought that comes to my mind is if the walls could talk, mm -hmm. you know, because there was a lot of things went on there, you know, lots of parties and lots of um, events and happenings that, you know, people would have no idea, right? I just remember one time I was there at the flags with my partner and as it was, you know, clothing optional, we were, you know, in the pool naked and, and all of a sudden I heard this noise. I looked and I looked around and there was like a Shaw cable guy up a pole <laughs> in the backyard. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, well, that's pretty cool. He's got a bird's eye view of everything here. <laughs> that's funny. I didn't know until just now that my dream is to 
um, have a gay clothing optional BNB. But uh, so thank you for realize making me realize my dream. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> can be quite fun. Um, well, thank you for sharing that piece of history. Um, it's really great to know that that place existed. Um, I want to switch now and talk about um, you were a resident of Kelowna when Walter Gray became mayor for a second time. So I was wondering if you could tell us um, a little bit about what you know about Walter Gray and your experiences during that moment. Sure. So when I came back to Kelowna, when I first moved to Kelowna um, in 2011, he had just uh, got in as mayor again, I think that fall. And after uh, Sharon Shepard had been the mayor, I think for four years before that. And so there was a whole lot of discussion went on. Um, I got involved with Pride, as I said, back in, starting in March with the National Conference and then um, started volunteering for the local um, Pride organization right away, leading up to Pride uh, coming up in the that year in, I think in August in Kelowna, 2012. And so everyone was saying, you know, they were talking about Walter Gray and wondering what was going to happen with Pride because prior to that, um, back, I'm not sure what year it was, but maybe around 1997 or something, he had um, the, the, the uh, Okanagan Rainbow Coalition or the group here had gone to him and said, you know, we'd like to have a proclamation for Pride Week. And he would he would refuse to do it. And he said, you couldn't say gay and lesbian and pride in the same sentence in a proclamation. So um, he was, uh, the Human Rights Commission in BC did um, uh, rule and said that that was a, a violation of human rights. And so he then, as a result of that, um, said that there would be no more proclamations uh, done by the city, um, by him, period. So it was kind of like everyone was being penalized because he didn't want to uh, proclaim gay pride. So when he got back in as mayor, there was a lot of conversation around that and what was going to happen with uh, Pride Week in August because after he was out as mayor and Sharon Shepard was mayor, she did proclaim Pride Week and there was a pride flag flying at City Hall. So uh, um, the, the uh, members of the Pride Society did talk to him and he agreed to proclaim Pride Week in August. So I was just new in town. I was volunteering and I said I would emcee. They invited me to emcee the uh, Pride events that summer. And I was brand new to doing drag. So I started doing drag. My drag name was Audrey. And that was spelled O-D-D-R-E-E. -E. And uh, Audrey is named after a cat named Audrey. And my last name, drag name I chose was May or May Not. And it was kind of play on the situation with, with Walter. And... So I was the MC for the opening ceremonies of Pride, and that was in the park. And um, I was in drag. And the Pride Society had invited him to read the proclamation, and they invited the member of Parliament, uh, a couple of members of Parliament from the area, 
and the um, MLA and city councilors. And they were all there. They had a stage set up in the park and they were all sitting um, on chairs at the back of the stage. And I had a microphone on one side of the stage and the speakers had, you know, the dignitaries had one on the other side. And I was to introduce each one of them and they were to give remarks. And the news media was there, the TV cameras were there, and there was, you know, the community came out for it. And I got there and I'd never met Walter before, but I'd heard the stories and I wasn't sure how things were gonna go. But I welcomed him and I talked to him and he kind of, you know, he seemed apprehensive. And he said to me, we're just going to have fun, right? And I was thinking to myself, you have no idea <laughs> how much fun we're going to have. But yes, we're going to have fun. And I think maybe he was worried about the reaction of the crowd because of him reading the proclamation. Um, I'm not sure what, but it just seemed there was some apprehension there. So anyway, we went through the ceremony, the, the dignitary spoke, it was his turn, he was the last one to speak, and it was his turn, he, was, he had the proclamation in his hand, ready to read it, and I introduced him, and before I let him talk, I said, let's just, you and I have a little chit-chat here before you, you talk, and uh, I said, you know, I kind of was joking with him, and I said, you know, I've been telling everyone, and this was actually true, because I had the lead up to this I had, at other events I said I'm having a date with Walter Gray and it's going to be in the park and you're invited so I told him that and I said you know I, I've been telling people I'm going to have a date with you in the park and I don't know if you're single or not um, but you know like I just wanted to check it out and uh, he laughed he kind of went along with it and he said uh well, I've been sitting here looking at your derriere, and I've changed my mind. And uh, we all had a good laugh, and everyone on the stage laughed. And then I said to him, you know, I know you know you like the media. You like the media attention. I see you on TV. I see you in the newspapers. And I'm kind of learning to like it, too. So maybe I should come over to where you are, and we'll get a photo. So I walked over, and I pretended to give him a peck on the cheek. And I held the pose because I could see that this really created some excitement among the photographers and the TV cameras. And so I held the pose for, for a few seconds. And he was saying to me while he was grinning for the cameras, he was talking through his teeth saying, what are you doing? Waiting for them to draw it? <laughs> and that was a classic moment. Like that was such a classic moment. So then... Um, of course, that night it was on global TV, the news, they had it on the, the, uh, in the papers. The headlines said the gays and the um, mayor kiss and make up. And there was another one that said uh, the kiss heard across Kelowna. And this story was repeated in the global, or I think it was in the National Post. It was in the Vancouver TV. Like it, it just kind of was everywhere because everyone knew the story and it was it was I guess it made good news because it was a like you know the change of heart of a mayor um who was now you know embracing something that he refused to do before so that was uh the beginning of that I think it it actually kind of changed it kind of changed it was like a turning point in Kelowna for the community and we had a few dozen people out at that event and the pride events that year 
Um, and then it just kind of snowballed. And I remember we did a pride march that year in a flash mob and that had a few dozen people in it. And then the next year there was hundreds of people came out. And the year after that, there was over a thousand. And then I think last year there was, there was over 10,000. So it just seemed kind of from that event, it just kind of snowballed and we just started the pride society. I became president that fall after pride and we, we, kind of endeavored to build bridges in the community and involve other organizations like the Rotary Center for the Arts, um, Tourism Kelowna, and um, get other places, you know, on board with what we're doing. Uh, we started a youth group called it Cedra Youth Group, and it's still going. It's now run by Bridges, I believe, and uh, or the Foundry, one of the two. Um, maybe it's Bridges, and I think it's hosted at the Foundry. But it's, you know, all of these things. We started a trans um, uh, support group and we had our very first trans pride march. I think it might have been in 2016 and there were several hundred people came out for that. And that was to me astonishing. And I also remember having going with uh, Nora Bowman, who was at the time running for uh, the NDP. Um, MLA position in Kelowna during the last election and she hosted a trans town hall with me and there was so many people came to that that we didn't have enough chairs for everyone and people were standing up and standing in the doorway trying to get into the room it was just like it blew me away and so that was kind of like watching all this happen was very rewarding um, to see that the changes that were happening. And, you know, just going back to Walter, I had several meetings with him after that, of course, because he was mayor for a few more years. And uh, he, he told me some stories about, you know, he went back and recalled the events of when he had refused to proclaim pride and he said he really sincerely thought it was his right, uh, freedom of speech. And, and I kind of chuckled and said to him, yes, but it, wasn't freedom of consequences, was it? <laughs> and he felt that, you know, uh, losing the, the mayor's position to Sharon was partly to, you know, that was his decision was partly to blame for that. But he said what, um, what really opened his eyes was when he made that decision initially, he got so much uh, support from people in Kelowna. He had it was before email that there was tons and tons of letters. He said they're probably in archive boxes at the city of support for his decision. And he said that what really opened his eyes was the amount of hate in those letters. And a lot of them were from people who professed to be Christians. And he said, I, I didn't really want to be associated with that. And I was very, very disappointed. So I think that was an eye opener for him. And uh, he was very cute. Um, one year he phoned me up and he said, it was just before Pride, and he said, um, I have this shirt that I wanted, I thought maybe I would wear to the Pride opening ceremony when I read the proclamation this year. He said, it's kind of got the Pride colors in it. It's a pinstripe shirt. It's got, you know, pink in it and it's got, you know, some rainbow colors. And he said, I'm not a gay man, but I, I would like to wear it, but I don't want to offend anybody because, you know, 
if I'm not gay, am I allowed to wear those colors? <laughs> and it was like him being respectful. He, he was like in, interested in, and I said to him, of course you can wear it, Walter. There's like no issue with that. And then the year that, the last year he was mayor, he called me into his office, had a meeting with them, and he said, I have a present for you. And he gave me that shirt. And it was all cleaned and pressed and folded and like a little present. And I'm thinking, wow, that was, that was very symbolic. And there was another time when I called him up and asked a favor or had a request of him. And it was when the Sochi Olympics were on and there was a lot of, you know, across Canada, there were cities that were raising the pride flag in solidarity with the people of the LGBTQ community in Russia that were oppressed. And uh, I said to him, because, you know, go back a little bit the year he became mayor. Um, that was the last time we ever had a pride flag hoisted because then there was something to do with the pro-life people wanting their flag up and that caused an uproar. So they decided no more flags other than the provincial and, you know, Canadian flag on their polls. So I called him up and I said, I know you're going to say no, but I want to ask you to put the pride flag up in solidarity with Russia. And he said, well, you know, I can't do that, Wilbur, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm having a state of the address uh, speech that I'm giving to the Chamber of Commerce, the state of the city address. And I will mention it at the beginning of you know, I'll make remarks about it. But he said, it can't upstage my main message. I said, okay, that's awesome. Thank you. So that's what he did. So at the, before he started his um, speech about the city, he said, you know, he, he's, he um, said that it was not acceptable what was happening, you know, in Russia with uh, oppression of LGBTQ people and that he just wanted us to be in solidarity with them. And guess what? He got a standing ovation. And so it really did upstage his remarks because that was what was in the news. And um, was right after that, the CTV reporter, TV reporter called me and said, I'm, I'm interviewing Walter. I'm going to be uh, doing this in the park outside across from City Hall. It was actually Valentine's Day. And he said, I'm going to um, ask you to come down. I'm not going to tell him you're going to be there. I want you to just walk up and walk into the interview. And uh, so I did. But I went to Safeway first and I got a bouquet of red roses because it was kind of like, okay, it's Valentine's Day. And I was like jokingly wanting to date him before. So um, I went down there to the, to the interview and I walked up behind him and I didn't say anything. I just stood there and listened for a while. And he was actually talking about me to the reporter and saying that, you know, because um, they were asking him about the, his comments about Russia. And that's what the, the interview was about. And so he, he, was, he was actually acknowledging me and for the work I had done in the community. And so I said, well, you know, in terms of acknowledgement, I, I just walked up and I gave him the roses and I said, I've got a present for you, Walter. And I just want to acknowledge you for um, the way that you've responded since you've become mayor. 
And he was kind of like, oh my goodness. And he was like, it's Wilbur. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> then he didn't know what to do with the flowers. And he said, do you mind if I give these to my secretary? And I said, yeah, you can give them to Jan. That'll be fine with me. But that was just, you know, um, kind of a nice bow on the whole thing that happened with him. And it just really shows that, you know, people can change. They can evolve, even politicians that have been around for a while, they can evolve and uh, turn out to be supporters. Yeah, I think that's a great example of exactly what you just said. Um, people having the ability to change and also to be accountable to their mistakes too, because it sounds from the story that you told that he recognized his wrongdoing and really did try to make amends to the community. Um, in his second position as mayor. Yes, absolutely. And he was a pleasure to work with. So in one of our past episodes with Tasha Jarrett, she mentioned that you played a prominent role in defending the painting of the Rainbow Crosswalk, uh, which is located at Pandosi and Lawrence. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about your role in that. Sure, and this, um, it actually started back with Walter Gray as well. Um, I was meeting with him one day and uh, his secretary had given him, um, actually sent him a, an email with a link to a newspaper article from Vancouver when they got their rainbow crosswalk on Davy Street. And that was the news in Vancouver. So she had sent it to him. So she was like planting the seed with him. And so he, he showed it to me and he said, do you think Kelowna is ready for this? And I just looked at him and I said, Walter, there's only one way you're going to find out. And that is if you do it. And he said, you might be right. So he said, uh, you know, I'm not going to make any promises, but this is something we can start looking at. So that was uh, just before he retired. And then um, the new mayor was Colin Bazaran, and he was very supportive of our community from day one, even when he was a city councillor. And uh, so he, he actually took that forward. And I got a call one day from someone at the city, and they said, we're going to... Uh, we're going to create um, a rainbow crosswalk and there's a couple of options. If you want it now, uh, we can do it at the corner of Lawrence and Pandosi, um, or there's another location, but it's gonna have to wait because this particular intersection at Lawrence and Pandosi, they've just redone it and um, it had all been repaved and they had to do crosswalk paint the crosswalks and they said it's not going to cost us any more money to do the rainbow than it would be to do it white so you know if that's suitable for you um we can do it like in the next next week and I said oh I think that's awesome and I talked to people on the pride board and we said sure let's do it so the city did do it and uh, they called me up uh, the night before they were going to do it and said it'll be done overnight. And so I rallied the, <laughs> the folks, the community, and said, there's, you know, this is happening. Let's meet down there um, in the morning and just have a little rally. And 
I called a photographer to come and take some photos. And that's what happened. So we went down there and we were celebrating. We had pride flags and we did a, a march around the four corners of the crosswalk. And there was some, you know, local politicians just showed up as well out of the blue. And and uh, the there was uh, some news people there as well. So it was quite quite something for us to see that. It was beautiful the way they designed it as well. And uh, there was some shots taking it from on top of the parkade uh, on the corner. So it looked, looking down on it, it was just, it was, it was really awesome. So it was not, it was mere days, maybe even the next day or so after that, that there was, um, of course, there was a lot of um, comments and social media and so on. And some of them weren't so nice. And there was one person in particular, her name was Nancy, and she came out forcefully against it and said that she was going to uh, petition the city to remove it and that it was um, pushing an agenda. And it was, you know, her, her line was that there was, uh, the city had their hands in her pocket as a taxpayer and taking that money to pay for the rainbow crosswalk. And it was, she was going to go all the way to the Supreme Court if necessary to get rid of it. So um, there was a lot of, lot of rallying around that as well, around in support uh, because of what she was doing. It actually brought a lot of attention to it, which was kind of cool. Uh, there was even a local bar that created a drink called the Nancy. And it was, they, they concocted this drink. It had, you know, rainbow colors in it, like with lavender syrup. And it had a, um, a garnish with a unicorn on it. And it was, it was quite something. And they were donating the, the money from the drink sales to the It Gets Better project. And they were like hand crushing the ice for this and they kept running out. I went there to have a drink and they had to run down to, to uh, like the shell station to get more ice because they ran out because people were asking for this drink. It was, it was really phenomenal. And then uh, one of the radio stations, I think it was AM 1150 um, called me and said that they were going to have her on the radio and would I come on and, and talk as well, but not, you know, not at the same time. So, the, so I listened to her talking and, the the uh, uh, radio host he got kind of triggered by her because she was just she was just being talking crazy and he he called her on the fact that she didn't even live in the city of Kelowna she's not a city of Kelowna taxpayer she lived in Lake Country and then they had me on talking about it and said well what are you going to do and I was just like this is hilarious there's nothing nothing we really need to do. But I, I kind of made a joke of it. And I said, well, I'm just going to go out to the stables and I'm going to, you know, we're going to harness up all our unicorns and we're going to get our glitter guns and we're going to come down and protect the crosswalk. <laughs> so that was just kind of a way of making light of it. But in, in actual fact, there, was, there were people who were actually really, really concerned that they were going to lose it. And I, one day I was walking down past it and I saw this young girl sitting on the corner all by herself holding a sign and the sign said please don't take my rainbow crosswalk away so it was um 
you know, it was something that really meant something to people. And then I was invited to go on a TV show. I think it was called the Doug and Lisa show on Shaw. And I was actually sitting in the studio with Nancy right beside me talking and they interviewed us both. And it was quite hilarious to me because uh, someone in the community that I know made a picture they took the picture of the crosswalk and they put a picture of Mary Poppins with Nancy's head on it, hovering over the crosswalk with an umbrella. And that was in the background on a great, great big TV screen behind us and during the interview. And so it was quite, <laughs> quite funny because I kept looking at that out of the corner of my eye, trying not to laugh. But, you know, it was just like... Um, I actually gave her a hug at the end of the interview and said, you know, this is, you know, this is the rainbow is for everyone. It's not excluding you as a straight person. And it's a, it's a symbol of us all loving and getting along and treating each other uh, equally and respectfully. So that was kind of, that was kind of it. And we never, yeah, actually ever heard of her heard from her again. However, during all of this going on, there was people that were going on to she had a real estate business and there were people going on to Google and giving her really bad reviews and saying nasty things. And I I had read some of them and I didn't even recognize any of the names of the people who were doing it. So I don't know who they were. But she phoned me and she asked me to call my, she called them my people, call your people off because they're just, they're, they're trying to destroy me. And I, I just said to her, you know what, Nancy, I, I've read some of those comments. I don't, I don't like that that's happening to you. But I said, they're not my people. And I said, this is a door that you opened and I can't close it. I'm sorry. So, you know, that's, that was one of the things that I, you know, experienced with her, but we've never heard from her since. And we still, we still have the rainbow crosswalk. And at the time of the Pulse um, massacre at the nightclub in Florida, it was someone instantly created an event on Facebook for everyone to come down and get together at that, uh, at the rainbow crosswalk. And it was, it was very moving, you know, just to be there. And at the time I owned the, um, wine and art wine bar um, on Lawrence Avenue, which is now called Friends of Dorothy, which is now a gay lounge, LGBTQ lounge. Um, and I, it was, a, I think it was a Sunday and the bar was closed, but I just said to everybody, that's just like, like I'm going to open the doors, just come in. And people came in, there was someone brought a guitar and was playing music and we we're just sitting around visiting and, and talking and sharing our, our heartbreak about what had happened. And that was, it was kind of like the rainbow crosswalk was the magnet for us. It just drew a place to, to come together. So it, it's symbolic of that. It's symbolic of, um, you know, a city that, you know, with the, with the number of people coming out for pride events now, and, uh, you know, I would say the majority, well, the majority of them are, our allies they're straight people that are coming out with their kids their families um it, it's just showing how you know things have changed in Kelowna and I think Kelowna is becoming to a city that appreciates the diversity that comes with it 
Well, I, I wanted to ask one of my one of my questions coming up actually, which maybe we can touch on now, is um, how you think the queer community in the Okanagan has changed over the years, especially in the time that you've been away living in Calgary. Um, you mentioned a little bit, but I'm wondering if you could expand on that a little bit. Well, I think it's grown quite a bit, and I think that um, partly because it's become more on the map with Pride. And there's been a lot of um, promotion, like Tourism Kelowna has done an amazing job of promoting the, the LGBTQ friendly side of Kelowna. And um, they've done commercials showing couple gay couples um, enjoying, you know, touring Kelowna, taking in the different um, attractions here. And the wineries have become involved. And so I think it's really kind of put Kelowna on the map. And that is, I think, has attracted people. It, it just seems like the community has, has grown exponentially since I was here. So there's a lot of people. Like I, I pretty much knew everyone in the community when I left. And now there's a lot of people I don't know who they are. I'm excited to get to, to know them. But I think that's just, you know, that's what I've noticed. There's more, you know, the Friends of Dorothy Lounge, which now is, you know, predominantly known as a uh, gathering place for the community. And the the things that are happening around that, it, it just shows that there is, um, you know, there's a pull for it. And th that's kind of, I guess it's really heartwarming for me and part of why I'm really happy to be back. In your opinion, what do you think the queer future of the Okanagan looks like? Well, it's a good question. And I think that, um, you know, with the way things are going um, in the world in general, um, it's kind of nice to have a smaller community that's welcoming. And I think it's just going to continue to walk, um, uh, to be a welcoming city with uh, growing, you know, evidence of that with what's going on. Um, you know, the, the, um, rebellious unicorns, Unicorn Alive productions that Dustin is doing um, is showcasing not just queer talent, but um, artistry in the Okanagan live streaming. It's pretty amazing that that's coming out of here. And um, the Pride events, as I mentioned, um, I think there's a gay uh, LGBTQ business mixer called MX. There's a lot of things happening. And there's a very active kind of Facebook group for the community. So it just shows that um, I think the future is just for that to continue to expand. I just wanted to say thank you so much for being on this podcast and telling us these stories. I, I'm really at a loss for words for how to thank you because the experiences that you've had here, the mark that you've left on the city um, it's just, it's really remarkable. And, uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you for sharing that with us. You're so welcome. It's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Okanagan Queer Story, uncovering the queer history of the Okanagan, one story at a time. Hosted and edited by Donna Langell. Produced by Donna Langell, Tasha Jarrett, and James Sieben. The theme song is Never Sleep by Ryan Anderson. 